I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today, we're going to talk about wills and trusts and trusts and wills. And here with me again is Justin Vossen. So I hope this turns out like the insurance podcast where, you know, I was really concerned about it being dry, but it was really great. So I have no doubt. So can you give the, the listeners maybe a quick introduction? I know we've talked to you before, but sure. uh, maybe why why we're talking to you about wills and trusts. Well, hopefully we won't put anybody to sleep, including you. My name is Justin Vossen. I'm a partner at Lutz Financial. We are a registered investment advisor, obviously affiliated with Lutz, and I'm also a certified financial planner. And basically what we do on a daily basis is obviously we manage assets, we manage about a billion five currently, but we also do a ton of financial planning. And part of that, like you said, was insurance and, and part of that's uh, estate planning and, and talking to clients about their wills and, and trusts and I'm not an attorney. I'm going to caveat this and say this is not legal advice for anybody. Definitely not a lawyer. You obviously need to see an attorney to get some of these things documented. But part of being a, a CFP and a, and a certified financial planner is talking about these things and how these things interrelate to people's financial lives and lives in general. So part of the CFP process is an estate planning module that we have to test on and make sure we know what we're talking about. So what we'll talk about today, I hope, is probably just some of the basics and, and things that people should be thinking about. But definitely, uh, we need to you need to consult your attorney when you're when you're going to execute some of these things and, and talk further about these in more detail as it relates to your own situation. Right. So. Right. Awesome. Well, let's just get right into it. What's a will? What's a trust? You know, I I guess the simplest way to put all that is obviously you're trying to put things and direct your assets, your wishes, your your children and and everything, put it on the paper that if someday you wake up and you're gone, that people can execute for you. So you have to pick the people, you have to pick the the things you want to have happen. And and there's a couple different ways of doing that, or I say multiple ways of doing that. So I would say the first thing you've got to think about, though, is how assets pass and how those pass to either your kids or your spouse or or if you're not don't have kids or a spouse on who that would go to and and I think it's it's a legal term and and it's there's three ways that basically these things can happen and and the first is an operation of law. And so if you have a joint account with your spouse or joint account with your parents or your kids or whatever whoever it may be and if it's a joint account with rights of survivorship once you pass away, that account automatically, as an operation of law, passes on to the survivor. Doesn't matter what your will says, doesn't matter what a trust would say, but it passes on to the survivor. There's other ways to title accounts like transfer on death and you say who that is or, or maybe it's a trust you transfer it to. But then operation of law takes over when somebody passes away. The other way you can do that is by contract. 
So Jack, you have a four one k, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're maxing that out, right? Yeah, doing everything. You got it. Right, 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 good, good, right good. from you. So first emergency fund, then high interest debt, then I get max it out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about it. So did you pick your beneficiary? Yeah, I did actually. All right, yeah. uh, I want to ask who, and that's yeah, okay. No, it might uh, change though here in the next couple abs- years. I don't know. And, and you got to stay on top of that. Yeah, and, I know. I'm telling you, I, I've had. People come in and they have an ex-spouse as the beneficiary and they forget about it. I mean, so you've got to stay on top of that. So by contract on a 401k, you're picking a beneficiary. And no matter what any, you know, Will says or anybody else says, if you list so-and-so as the beneficiary, that's by contract going to travel to them upon your passing. And then you list contingent beneficiaries potentially, which would be if they're not there, who that would then fall to at that point. So the other thing, probably retirement plans, 401ks, the other thing a contract is is life insurance. Mm-hmm. So again, when you get a life insurance policy, you're going to pick a beneficiary and who that would travel to. So by contract is another way that things travel. So, and sorry to cut you off before your third part there, but you know, for me, someone that has relatively uh, a relatively simple structure of assets, right? It, my beneficiary, my 401k, the I guess I don't have anything written up for what would happen to my accounts, my bank accounts, things like that. But I mean, that's in essence kind of my current will. Okay. The beneficiary, right? I mean, that's well, it. So, so yeah, you'd have the 401k, but your bank account's probably titled in your name, right? Yep. yep. So there is no contractual thing afterwards, whether it's- Or no not, operational locks. There's no exactly. joint person on my account. So when you would pass away, if you get hit by the bus tomorrow- right. That would be titled in your name. So then this is the third way that things can travel would be through probate. Okay. And a lot of people think probate's a big bad word. It's just a legal proceeding. And so what what would happen is so the Jack Moylan bank account Mm -hmm. would be a list of assets on your probate, basically probate proceeding. And a judge would look at that and say, okay, does Jack have a will? And so he would look at that. And if if you didn't have a will, and this gets to the other point, the state of Nebraska has one for you. And I'm only going to talk about the state of Nebraska because that's where we're sitting today. I know people could be listening from other states. But, but it's where you're a resident. Right. Okay. So the state of Nebraska and all states, basically they call it the law of intestacy, that you have specified laws that spell out where assets travel if you didn't create a will. Right. So if you didn't say, hey, I want my bank account to go to my mom or my kid or my spouse in your will, it would basically follow these statutes. And and so and I wrote them down just because I make them make sure I'm doing it right. So right. in basically Nebraska, that if you have a living spouse, it basically says uh, uh, the living spouse gets a hundred, the first hundred thousand dollars of an assets of assets, one half of the balance, and then the kids or issue would get the other half of the balance. Got it. So think about this. If you had a spouse and a kid, and these are the only the assets titled in your name, right? right? The the probate assets. Right. The 401ks would be traveled to your beneficiary. beneficiary. The life insurance would travel to the beneficiary listed. Anything jointly, if you had a spouse, would, mm-hmm. would travel to the spouse. But the things listed in your name, so that bank account in your name, that basically would, if you were married... The first hundred thousand goes to them, and then again, and then the rest is split. The half, the, the yeah, the half would go. So if there was two hundred thousand in the bank right. account, you 
100,000 will go to your spouse and then 50,000 will go to the spouse and 50,000 will right. go to your kid. If you right. So if, if you don't have a spouse, okay. it would go to – if your parents are still living, it would go to your parents. Okay. And if your parents are not living, it would be evenly split amongst your siblings. And then there, if there's no siblings, the estate's evenly split amongst paternal and maternal grandparents. So it, there is a succession by law of how those assets would travel if you didn't have it spelled out in a will and or trust on who were to receive that. So if I don't have parents or, or children or siblings, I probably don't have grandparents. I mean, at that point, what if I'm at the age where I don't have grandparents? Fair enough. Does and it go to the state? That's a great question. I, mean, I don't know the answer to that. I would assume so. Right. Or it would maybe some relative. And, and again, that'd be up to the judge. Okay, and, and he would rule over the probate, and and that's what he would ultimately decide. But it would go in that order by statute, obviously. But I always think the one quirky one too is is the if you do have a spouse and parents but no children, the first hundred thousand goes to this spouse, and then the half of the estate's balance goes to the spouse, and then the leftover goes to the parents. Let's so think about that. If you had a if you had a wife, yeah. And no kids, half of those assets potentially after the hundred thousand in the first, in the half, first half could go to my folks. Could could go to the parents. So it's crazy. And, and I now it makes sense why there gets some weird, crazy, intense family stuff when mm-hmm. people die, because someone I mean, parents what if what if the wife doesn't have a good relationship with the folks? Right. They right. get nasty. Well, I mean, think about that and think about, you know, other siblings or, you know, think about if in a divorce case, yeah. if there's a, a, a child from another marriage and or, you know, potentially you have, you know, illegitimate children potentially right. out there that could stake claim to the assets. And that's why it has to go through this public process right. in order for creditors or, or, you know, other relatives or other people that maybe people don't know about to join into this public process and so they can actually state claim to potentially somebody's estate. So this is all goes on if you don't have a will or trust. None of that. Yeah. So now you can obviously see why it's probably important to put something on a piece of paper. Well, I just, I think about, and hopefully, you know, people listening to this, it's going to spur people to, to act and maybe think about these kinds of things. But I don't know what the statistics are behind how many people don't get the opportunity to think through some of these processes. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think there's a perception, though, that, ah, you know, I don't need one of these wills or anything like that until I get either get married or have a child or have a significant amount of wealth. Right. But, I could think of the third one as being more of the thought, right? I don't have a significant amount of wealth, so I don't feel the need to tell anyone where this is going to go. Right. And... I would argue that there's probably a couple of reasons you need to at least consider that is that, you know, you, you probably work and have elective life insurance here at, at, at your job, right? Right. That's probably potentially at no cost to you. Right. So you obviously want to have that go somewhere. Right. And that could be $100,000, significant amount of money. You know, you have your retirement accounts, you have your bank accounts, you have, you know, cars, other material possessions so if you and don't, things like that. If you don't put a beneficiary on your account, I mean, because I mean, they make it stupid simple, which is great. Mm-hmm. You have, boom, put your beneficiary right there. In fact, I don't even know if I can proceed to the next step in enrollment without putting a beneficiary. You can in, okay. a lot, in some places. If you don't put one, it goes to your estate. 
So if you don't have a will, right, go through the probate process and, and go to my wife. It would or it would go 50%. by by the virtue of that statute. Or if you didn't put a beneficiary and you do have a will, the will is going to direct right. it. But what I always tell people too is that beneficiary that you state in your in your retirement accounts or your life insurance will trump any will that's right. out there. Well, you mentioned it's the it's the divorce the spouse right? law. It's the law was number one, right? So if it's a joint owner on account, yep. and then it's operation, which is beneficiary, right? I don't. I'm not probably spitting out the wrong words. Yeah, it's, it's contract was be the beneficiary. Okay, contract. But, okay. but that that contractual beneficiary listed right now if if it went to a divorce spouse and there was a current spouse they could go contest it and they'd again have to go to court and talk through that hey this was a mistake and, and the judge would have to potentially approve it and the divorce spouse could come and say no no that was meant to still the beneficiary is what you're saying and, Got it. and some of that stuff if there's a divorce spouse there's often life insurance by decree of of a divorce that says so and so must maintain a half a million dollar life insurance policy until a certain length of period that would cover any alimony that somebody was supposed to receive. So, I mean, there's a number of different reasons that contractually it could be a, a not a spouse or right. could be a kid or something like that, that that could get mixed up. And that's why I always say, and, and this is what we really harp on as, as a firm is, hey, does, does your you know, beneficiaries and does your titling match what you want to ultimately happen to your assets? Because it makes a big deal. And, and, you know, it wouldn't be impossible to change that. It's just going to cost a lot of money to take it through the court and hire a lawyer and go through the time and effort and the brain damage. And then by then it may not be worth that money. Right. Totally. And so it's huge to, to have those consistent and, and, I, I think another part of the will process that you go through when you put your stuff down on paper, and I think this gets overlooked a lot, is your powers of attorney. If you're a single guy and you get in a car wreck tonight, you know they're going to see who has your medical directives, right. who 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 can exercise those answers to any medical questions that they would have. You might want a living will. You might not want to get kept up or kept alive on a ventilator or something like that. If it's not written down, you're going to have a hard time convincing a doctor otherwise or whoever would. Well, and if you're not, if, because I know that I'm, I'm the power of attorney on my folks Mm -hmm. and I, my, my dad's my power of attorney or has my power. The medical or there's a general power of attorney that would be for financial matters. Medical. Medical? I think yeah, I think that uh, that was a process we went through a few years ago, and that's an interesting thought too. Where if I were to be in incapacitated, and they ultimately are the ones I know that will make the best decision to, for what to happen to me, if they weren't my medical power of attorney as mm-hmm. a you know a, a, as an adult, they can't really do anything. Yeah, you know they, they would find ultimately the right person, but again. Um, so, okay. So you say that you make that comment. I mean, I know again, not, this isn't legal advice, but they end up finding the right person to make a decision. You know, I don't know what the doctors ultimately have to do if there's no medical, I mean, they'll, they'd probably find your parents obviously right. first. And then, you know, if there was a spouse, it'd be the spouse, but. But there gets I, to be a weird, the, similar to the asset. I mean, there's a weird legal battle if parents or the spouse have differing opinions and I haven't determined one or the other has power of attorney over me. Well, and it could delay potentially something that needs to happen, right? Right. And if you have the stuff on the document, they can take those directives right away. Boom. It's just simpler. And so, so having that on paper and, 
you know, quite frankly, it's, it's as you get older like me and you have kids and stuff, you, you probably have to pick one of the kids at some point. And I'm definitely going to pick my daughter before I'm going to pick my son to do the medical stuff. Because <laughs> sure. uh, uh, I'm not going to have much of a chance. Ah, he's done. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think you, you got to think about these things. And, and so that's part of when, when you would walk into an attorney's office and get a will. Yeah. They would put together these directives. Uh, medical directives and, and general powers of attorney that, that would give somebody the ability. And I'm going to tell you, I'm in a, in a world where, you know, in the investment advisory and, and brokerage accounts that, that we set up for clients and things like that, you know, you're going to need a, a, a really something really good on paper as a financial power of attorney, considering the hyper vigilance everybody has on, on fraud these days. Got it. You're going to want to make sure that thing's buttoned up airtight, that when somebody needs to access, if let's say you're in the hospital or something like that, or you're recovering after a, a, an accident or something like that, and they need to access funds to pay your bills, to pay your hospital bills, to do whatever it takes to get there, you're going to want to have that fairly airtight that you can take it to a financial institution and they're going to say, yep, this is a legal good document that that we can accept as, as the power of attorney that whoever you're given that financial power of attorney can transact on your behalf and pay your bills. I mean, sure. it's, it's a big deal. You know, we see it all the time as, as people age. We want to make sure there's a power of attorney in place that if we have some issues on, on some concerns that we would have with, you know, how cognizant they are of their financial situation and what they're doing financially, that we have a power of attorney in place with this child or somebody else. That, that we can make sure that, that they're looking out in their best interest as we're trying to look out in their best interest by reaching out to somebody else to get a second opinion or check in on them or, or whatnot to have right. that happen. So that's a big portion, I would say, of the will. And then, you know, frankly, the other part of the will that you're going to put on paper is if you do have kids, who's ultimately the guardian? That's a big deal. I always think that sometimes changes and, and I've got teenagers, so... The guardian that we thought was so were, assets and then guardianship is what yep, you're saying. Okay. Yep. You're doing the directives. You're you're going to appoint a personal representative in your will to take right. care of everything on your behalf. You're going to appoint if you have minor children guardians for those children, and then obviously within the will you're going to say, hey, what where do the assets flow and to who it flows, and that's where obviously the guardian's a big issue, but the assets flowing you can potentially create a trust a revocable trust during your lifetime that you could actually put assets into that would, and I'll take a step back, the revocable trust that you would put together is, is a what I would call a vessel. And that vessel carries those assets legally in the, the benefit of that trust or, or for those beneficiaries that are in that trust ultimately over your lifetime. It's a revocable trust. You're probably, you're obviously the, the grantor trustee initially. So it's for your benefit until you go away. Then it has definitions to say, okay, then whose benefit does this asset flow to next? So it kind of, I mean, in essence, it's the same process of transfer as your life insurance policy to the beneficiary. I mean, you. It, so the beneficiary could be your trust. Got it, it could be that vessel. And that vessel could have, will then have beneficiaries as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that vessel will then define the terms on how those beneficiaries receive those funds. Right. So if you were to pass away and you had a trust, then it would say, okay, if you had a spouse, then the spouse might maintain, they could get assets whenever they want. Mm-hmm. You can define when they can get assets. 
it'd say, hey, you get 5% a year of the principal and then you get the interest or the, you know. So the, to our conversation income. earlier, it's uh, you're creating an entity that you can then define what happens to said entity. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure there's probably a lawyer out there like, no, it's not an entity. Oh, totally. I'm using, right, I'm using the wrong terms. But it gives you more options for things like a life insurance policy instead of just if I have my dad on my life insurance policy, all of that life insurance policy is going to him. Instead of if I have my dad, my wife, my children on my trust, right. it'll describe how those life insurance benefits are going to be dispersed. Right. And, and so generally, let, let's, let's, you know, during somebody's lifetime, the spouse usually has pretty much unencumbered asset or availability to get to those assets if they're in a trust. What, what the trust would potentially do in a spouse's lifetime is potentially protect those assets that would flow into there from a future spouse. Uh. Or and, and make sure that the kids that, that you would have had together before you passed away would mm-hmm. receive the benefit of those assets later in life. It also, if it if it becomes irrevocable, or what people call a family trust, sometimes it would flow away from creditors. And again, those bad actors, those, those divorce, a future divorce of, of somebody who that wasn't right for the the, the widowed spouse. To, to be able to protect those assets for ultimately the, the what we would call the direct beneficiaries, which would be maybe kids in the future. The other thing I think the trust does well is it defines when kids could get those, when those beneficiaries could get access. So this is when you talk about like a trust fund kid. It's, mm-hmm. it's you've got a trust that's set up that has rules that says you'll graduate college, you'll get a job and hold it for two years, and then you'll receive your trust money. Yep. I mean, you can get that granular, can't you? You can, you can get granular as, as you want with it. Got it. I'm not a huge fan of that just because it becomes maybe a little overruling from the grave. So most people define, a, a way to A way to perpetuate your life. Yeah, <laughs> right? Most people say that, hey, if, if my wife and I are gone and, and there's assets that funnel into this trust that ultimately my kids will receive a third of it at 25, a third of it at 30, and the rest at 35. Right. So you're putting some space in between when they get full access to the assets. Right. And, and I'll back up here and say, if you don't have that in place and you get hit by a bus and your kids get assets really truly uh, in, in Nebraska at age 19, if you didn't have a will, you didn't have a trust, right. at age 19, those assets would be out of a conservatorship. So somebody would take care of them for those kids and those right. assets would be out of the conservatorship and then ultimately given to the children to do with what they want. And, right and I know you probably wouldn't have done anything different in your uh, early 20s. I can't say that. If, if you would have had any <laughs> money. But I always say, I'm like, I, I probably would have made a different decisions along the, the oh, early path of my life, but not all of them would have been smart ones. But, oh, I'm uh, sure there would have been some dumb ones. But, you know, when you when you think about it... And this well, is, and that's why you brought up uh, the idea of, you know, a third of it at 25, a third of it at 35, and a third of it at 45. I mean, that makes enough sense because a person changes in 10 years. Oh, totally. Right? I mean, so that you're just, just back to your point about the decisions you make and you know, having that set up so that people receive it at the right time 
makes a ton of sense. And you're never going to ultimately know. And right. That's why I always caution about being too prescriptive with right. when they receive the money because you're really kind of guessing when kids are responsible enough for it or when their family situation warrants it. And they would have access to it along the way. Mm-hmm. There would be a trustee in place that you would appoint, whether that be your dad or whether that be a brother or sister that would be kind of in charge of saying if, if one of them came back to them and said, hey, I want to build a house. The question he would say, well, how much do you need? You know, what kind of house are you building? Mm-hmm. Are you going to finance it? Uh, you know, how much ultimately do you really need from this? Do you need a million dollar house? Probably not, right? right? So they would be that kind of go between between the basically the funds and and the child to be able to do that and, and be the heavy, for lack of a better word, right. in that situation. So, you know, I, again, I think that trust is that vessel that you have that provides again the trustee to protect some of those assets from the the ultimate beneficiaries and then prescribes when those beneficiaries should ultimately get it they don't have to ever get it to their lifetime you could keep those assets in trust throughout their lifetimes and have it even travel to their grandkids these are kind of dynasty trusts and this is a whole nother level so like when i when i get that you know generational wealth is what we're talking about yeah well yeah (laughs) the oil money you know, a lot of people do it if, if they don't like the spouse of one of the children. Right. They potentially keep it in trust because that protects that those assets from that, you know, maybe their perceived bad spouse. And, do you watch and, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it's a great episode where uh, if Frank's wife dies, uh, who is played by um, Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. And they're all in, in the attorney's office and they're explaining where the assets are going. And it's one of my favorite scenes of all time because he just throws his fist down and runs out the door because he's t- completely pissed about where they're going. But I'm just imagining those conversations probably aren't too far off sometimes. Mm. No. Well, you think about the types of assets, right? Yeah. That, that it's not just money sometimes. Sometimes it's houses uh-huh. that some people might have a little more attachment to. Sometimes it's property. I mean, you got farms here in Nebraska that are a big deal that, yeah. you know, who's running the farms? And, you know, maybe one kid's on the farm, one kid's in New York. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that can come out of this that, you know, you really got to think through some things and, and, but even if you're young, I mean, and I go back to, you know, generally every everybody when they get married and if they have a kid and they start thinking about, OK, man, I need some life insurance now and protect for the kid. If, if you know, I were to go away or my wife were to go away or whoever. And that's where I go back to. You can have the life insurance, but if it goes ultimately to the spouse and then to the kid, that would be the contingent beneficiary. Mm-hmm. If the kid gets it at 20 it's unencumbered. So if there's a million dollars of life insurance at 20 years old, they get a check and the trust would provide that vessel to say, well, no, the check goes to the trust. Mm -hmm. The surviving uncle is the trustee and the kid would have access to it when he needs it for school or for, you know, buying a home or or whatever. Or at 30 or whatever. Yeah. So they would have that until age 30 and then at age 30, he'd get a third of what, you know, so he'd get 300000 mm-hmm. you know, enough to be very comfortable, but not enough that he will blow it all in the first day and he won't have anything coming afterwards, right? So. How much, and I don't know if you have the answer to this, but how much control, I guess, does the trustee end up having ultimately over that? 
I mean, all of it. I if, mean, if they can say no. You can elect multi. You can elect co-trustees where two people have to decide. Okay. You can elect one trustee. You can elect a, you know, a bank, okay. a, a trust department, and the kids would have to go to the, the bank and say, "Here's what I need." Almost take talk to, to them about a loan. Yeah, they, explain why you need this loan. Well, yeah, I mean, but the trust will spell out, and, and typically they they call it health education, maintenance, and support. Okay, kind of broad words. There's degrees of that, right? If, if the kid needs money for college tuition, ah, okay. they're going to grant that because right. that's education, right? right? If the kid needs to buy a car to go to work, they're going to grant that. If the kid comes and says, I want a Mercedes to, to go, go to work, work right. they're going to say, well, take a look at a Honda. And, and that's probably within the means. That's right. what the trustee kind of provides for, you know, they're kind of representing the, the, the grantor or whoever gave the money to the trust. While they're not there, do um, beneficiaries of a trust ever? And this, I mean, this may seem like a duh question, like a yes, but do beneficiaries of a trust ever take a trustee to court? Do I mean, I'm sure that's all the time. Absolutely, right? yeah. I mean, the, the trustee could be in charge of managing some of the assets, investing them, and yeah. they could lose the money. I mean, the yeah. beneficiary, the trustee, what they call it, has a fiduciary obligation to the beneficiaries. So that trustee has to act in the beneficiary's best interest ultimately. Right. So if, if the trustee says no, the, the beneficiaries have an option to take them to court and say, hey, you know what? They're not giving me access. This is in my best interest for me to have this money. Here's why. And some judge or lawyers negotiate it and, and <clears throat> decide, yeah, that's that's relevant or that's not. And so beneficiary or trustees, if we got to choose them wisely, they could be negligent. And I, I'll tell you one thing I always recommend, too, to people is if you have a guardian for your children uh-huh. and then you have a, a trustee for the assets that would you leave them, you would be leaving them. I always say, sometimes consider like a little separation between church and yeah, state, though, right. right? But you want the guardian to have to go to and say, hey, you know what? These two kids are moving in with me. We don't have enough room. I need to put on an addition to the house. The trustee can say, you know, that's that's relevant and that's that's right. You want the kids. I'm, I want to take care of those two kids. But you don't need the pool. But <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you don't need the pool. Right. Um, well, and that, and, but that I mean, that ultimately makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm sure you've got to know enough people to have multiple people that you trust at that level. Maybe you only mm-hmm. trust someone to be the guardian and the trustee, but. If you have the guardian separate from the trustee, then you know that guardian hopefully has really only the best interest in mind for those children because they aren't, I mean, unless they have health maintenance, you know, what was it? Health maintenance and education Patient and support. Hymns. support. Hymns. Hymns. Yeah, it's hymns provision. So that's hymns that's provisions. generally a lot of them are written that way. And then some of them, like you said, can be very prescriptive. Right. Hey, they get $10,000 a year for school or they get, you know, a certain amount of down payment on a house, but nothing more. Right. And you can be very prescriptive, but ultimately, hopefully, if you choose your trustee correctly, they can be that kind of heavy and go between for you and enact in your best interest at that point. So I'm sure this de- totally depends, but is there a general idea of how much it would cost you to get a will or a trust set up? Well, I would say you'd probably get both and then you get the powers of attorney. It's kind of all over the board on how complicated you want to make it. I mean, obviously a lot of attorneys have boilerplate language and you're filling in the blanks of who's your guardian, who's your trustee, who do you want to be your medical power of attorney? Who do you want right. to be your financial power of attorney? So if you can fill in those blanks, it, it costs anywhere from, you know, I would say $400 to a couple grand. Got it. And again, I, 
I'm, probably there's people out there saying, oh, gosh, not that much. Or, oh, gosh, that's that's just the basics. You need more than that. Right. I would say, and I'm not a big... But th- my point is that's not out of the realm of a 30-year-old to make the decision that they want to do that. No. Right. And, and, and if you do it right, it's kind of like building your financial house, right? If you do it right the first time and things change, you're going to add another room or you're going to add an amendment or codicil to the to the, your a state plan where you're just going to kind of keep adding on and changing. You might change a trustee or you might mm-hmm. change a guardian. So you'll be able to, it's a living document that you'll just keep growing on over time. That's why I suggest going to an attorney sure. and having them sit down because they're going to ask a bunch of questions if they're good and, and be able to take you through it and, and get you feeling good exactly about what you have and understand what you have. Right. Versus I know everybody wants to get everything done online and do it quick and do it cheap. You can go do that. I think uh, I don't know who's good or bad on that. I, I generally don't recommend it. It's doable, but potentially you're setting yourself up if it's not done right in the right state of having your heirs or your beneficiaries have a bunch of legal battles, making sure that that will is valid right. and all that other fun stuff. And then, frankly, it's not one of those things where it, you, you go back to the financial house. If you build the first one, you're probably not going to be able to take that into another attorney when you have to expand upon it and let them add a room or add something else. They're going to have to knock it They're down. They're not going to take my legal Zoom PDF and or exactly. whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, so you, you mentioned an interesting one is is I guess choosing an attorney. I assume it's like anything else where you kind of I mean I don't want to say get what you pay for, but you have the freedom to decide if you don't if you meet an attorney for the first time and you don't decide he's the right one to. I mean, you can shop around and because you brought up an interesting point where you want to make sure it's pretty tight. It's a it's a good legally binding binding document, yeah. you know, so you don't run into any issues. How much shopping, I guess, do you have to do? My, my always recommendation is to try to find somebody who definitely does estate work and, and wills and trusts. I mean, you don't want to go to a real estate attorney and have them do that. You know, it's just not their their cup of tea. Generally, I, I think most are good that are in that business, and they're, they're gonna they're gonna do a proper document and everything like that. So I think you ask around and find out people who've had experience with them, or, or go to a larger firm and and you know you can go to the website and find out who does it and, and ask and, and call around. You know, generally, I've never had a bad attorney draft a oh this is a terrible document. And, right. And again, that's not me to say the document stinks. What I think sometimes people don't, if, if they're not used to doing it, they probably don't ask the right questions. And, you know, there's like, oh, yeah, here's your document. Sign it and go. And then nobody understands what it is. Right. And then I think the big thing, and this is what I highly recommend people do, is now with your assets back to the passing by contract or, or method of law, okay, what should I have these assets titled in? Because I think people are really good at giving documents and saying, yep, there, you're, here's your document. And then you're like, okay, what do I do with this? And then maybe my insurance should be, the beneficiary should be my trust and I have my spouse and nothing else. Or my 401k should list my kids directly or the trust is the contingent beneficiary and nobody changes it. And so it contradicts the... the got it. So the, you're saying I've the, got a trust, but I haven't gone to my whether it's my 401k or this or that and changed it to to to, to reflect that. Yeah. And usually that's a contingent beneficiary and right. we can get into why, but usually the spouse is the primary and then the trust is contingent. But yeah, if you don't execute 
you know, the titling correctly. And sometimes there's funding of trust and, and everything that, that, that you'll want to do. But if you don't execute it, you just have a document that tells you what to do, but never really gets formally done in real life. And, and so there's a potential for a contradiction right. of what your intent was with the document to how everything's titled with your because, uh, because contractually, it's going to take mm-hmm. your beneficiary first. And sorry, you have a will, but you have a beneficiary here. Yeah. And so it's, it's an order of operations thing, right? I and mean, that's yeah. why you brought that up initially, law, contract, yep. and then down to... Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. So let's say you have a vacation home in, in the Lake of the Ozarks. Right. And one of your kids loves it, and the other kid doesn't want anything to do with it. You could spell out and say, you know what? My kid wants this one in the Lake of the Ozarks. And you put that in in some either will or trust, and you can specify who, what goes where... And then you title that house in the Lake of the Ozarks in some TOD to some other instrument or to some LLC or something like that that doesn't flow through that. Got it. It's an asset um, of that LLC. Or, yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, that's a kind of a bad example, actually. But I, I just think that the, the difference between getting the document done and then executing what the document says as far as your titling is something that everybody needs to do because everybody – Generally, it's it's kind of a bear to do, and people kind of put it away and right. they get pay all this money for a document, and then they don't execute what what it, we wanted to say in real. Well, life. I mean, think about how many people you have that maybe don't remember the concept of order of operations. I mean, I'm not, yeah. but that's just a just a, a thing to keep remind, remind people. Like, hey, there are things that precede this, right? That are more mm-hmm. binding than than your will or trust. Yeah. So, yeah, that coordination of of what you have yeah. to to your life is is critical cool. when you do it. So, well, what else? Anything else you want to want to leave people with? I I mean I I know more about wills and trusts now today from a on a practical level. Honestly, on yeah. a practical level, where and, and it makes sense why this isn't a it seems to me like more of a complexity thing in terms of assets, right? Where if I have things all over the place, it might be a good idea to create a trust and then tell that trust what to do. But it kind of dispels the myth that you've got to be uber wealthy or have all kinds of stuff to do this. No, it's it's ultimately I want to be the decider. Or I want to decide where my stuff's going to go when I die. Yeah. And, right. and when they receive it, right? And who receives it, and then potentially protecting it from other people. I don't want to have totally get it and, totally. And you know, and I agree. I, I think there's a perception when you hear trust, you think of your, your point of trust fund baby, your right, trust fund right. kid. That oh yeah, you got to be really really wealthy to do it. And, and really, it's a vessel, mm-hmm. and, and that vessel is is prescriptive of who gets it when they get it who you're protecting it from and, and all that other stuff. If you just have the will, no, once the will's done, all those assets get distributed and there's no other, it, it goes straight to, it. to them. And so again, you're generally going to want to have both the will and the trust. And sometimes the will feeds the assets into the trust mm-hmm. and into that vessel. And then sometimes it might push it out to the other, you know, somebody directly too. So there's all kinds of different ways to coordinate it, and that's why I think it's important to, to sit down with a good attorney, and, and they'll ask more questions than they'll probably answer, frankly. And, and if they're good, that's what they'll do because they're going to want to know what your intent is, right. and then they're going to put that into the documents right. and not have the documents tell you what your intent is. Yes, so, that's, a, that's a cool way to think about it is they're going to ultimately, like you said, hopefully – 
want to figure out what my true goals are and then translate that to legal documents. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and again, I no time like the present and it sounds horrible and morbid and everybody doesn't want to think about what, when people die. And another thing I'd leave you with too, is that as your life changes, things change too. You need to look at potentially changing your documents and, and I'll give you my example of I, both my wife and my family live in two different places, not here. Right. And so if something happened to us, you know, early when my kids were really young, it made sense. Well, they can go ship off to, to, to my wife's sisters and they'll be just fine. Well, now her kids are all out of the house. My kids are teenager. They have a life here right. in Omaha. Would I want to ship them to another town and, and right. you know, have them have to start over again in their schools and everything like that? And, and are they in a place to receive your children? Right. Mm. And so, so I think it's two prongs. So you got to ask yourself, okay, what, what's less intrusive if something were to happen to me and, and my wife to, for the kids? And then two, if that's less intrusive, is somebody willing to do it? And, and I think often people put people as trustees or guardians into documents and don't tell them. And so there's a potential that if something were to happen to you or, or somebody else that they're like, oh, I don't have the, the time or I'm away or my life doesn't have the ability to, to take these kids as a guardian or take on the trustee role and the, right. the you know, management of those assets. And so I think it's important to not only when you elect them as your fiduciaries or as your trustee or as your powers of attorney that you have that conversation with them to say, hey, just so you know, and, and make sure they're not like, well, you know, yeah, right. why don't you ask your sister? Yeah. Because it's it's a big deal. Right. You don't want to have them sprung upon them. That's for sure. So Yeah. Or some things you may want to spring on people like, yeah, I'm not giving you and your wife money. <laughs> <laughs> That, that might be a harder conversation. That might be an easier conversation when you're dead. That's a whole nother conversation <laughs> when, when there are significant assets and yeah. people are uh, deciding who gets what and, and how much and, and all that other fun stuff that you might want to have before you pass away, too, because uh, a, a, a small fight early saves a large fight later, I think, sometimes. so Good point. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks again. Always enjoy talking to you. No, it's fun. I appreciate it. And uh, you, you do good work here, so I appreciate it. So. Yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.